Price for Thursday, October 26, 2023. Coming in from the Go-Go Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center. Downtown Vancouver, and we have already had a couple of friends, Blake, reach out to the Wall Center and say, hey, I want to book my holiday party there. In fact, one's already done so. Perfect. They got 55,000 square feet of striking indoor-outdoor space. If you're looking to book an event, call them 604-893-7370. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price. Grace Asset and Switches conducting things in the producer's booth. And this show, a, pre- a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. You can finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99% lease or finance the 23-24 Leaf from 6.99%. Then at Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall, lease a QX50, the 23 QX50 50 from 3.49%. Or a 23QX60 from 2.99%. I uh, gave my mother a tour in the QX60 oh, yeah? that I drive the other day. Went on a shopping excursion. She probably felt like her son had made it driving such a nice car. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And she even remarked, despite how overweight you are, you still fit beautifully in that cockpit. I'm like, Yeah. A lot of room. Very yeah. spacious here. Thanks the for the QX6. backhand, Mom. Look, yes. It's always backhand with the parents, <laughs> isn't it? You look great, except for the... Yeah, mm. exactly. So go see our friends at Applewood celebrating 25 years because, Blake... It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question. Will the Hughes-Ronick pairing last all season, yes or no? You can vote at Sikharson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog line of the day for me. 49ers coming off a short week, and now quarterback Brock Purdy is in the concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm going to take the Bengals plus three and a half on your Bodog line of the day. The bloom off the Brock Purdy rose. Well, I, I mean, I watched him play at Iowa State and thought he'd be a good quarterback. Now I thought he'd be a NFL backup and maybe even a serviceable one. He has got a terrific head coach there, a terrific offensive system, and a great defense and team altogether. But, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, he had started, like, historically great, right? In terms of, so, uh, you know, I think there was another shoe to drop. Too bad it's uh, a health matter for Brock Purdy. I hope he does. I hope he uh, recovers. Because you do want to see the best of the NFL, and as we have talked about with these Thursday night games in 17 weeks, boy, the injury and attrition in that league now yep, you bet. is getting quite pronounced. Vancouver Canucks back at practice today at Rogers Arena in advance of tomorrow's game against the St. Louis Blues. And the Blues are in Calgary tonight to play the Flames. And how about this? Craig Berube, the Blues head coach, he's made a couple of Lineup changes for the game tonight. He's going 11 forwards and 7 defensemen because he says our top four play a lot of minutes and he basically wants to insulate them on back-to-back nights. So they're going with the 11-7. Bortuzzo, Perinovic make their season debuts. Vrana gets scratched and Berube was, he's just got to be better. So we'll see how a Tired Blues team coming off the game in Calgary and the travel here to BC does tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. One of the two Friday night games for the Canucks this year. They do not play on a lot of Fridays. No, it's all Saturdays this year. Yeah, especially home games on Fridays. So we're going to the game with our new friend Piero Minetta. So look for us to be uh, 
behind the bench there. Probably and, won't have to look hard. No. Well, yeah. I mean, Piero has been a fixture on Vancouver Canucks telecast for 20 years with those seats right behind the bench. Looking forward, looking forward to that. As for the poll question, I voted no just because the odds are against it. You're likely to see a Hughes or a Hronik injury or an injury on defense that forces some sort of shuffle. You also have to wonder how long the Vancouver Canucks can sustain a bottom four with Mark Friedman or Tyler Myers in it. And it's been Friedman here of late, Myers on the third pair, but I'm not sure either is a good option. Now, if they had cap space or if they're able to execute a Connor Garland trade that returns a top four worthy defenseman, then I could see it. But that's a long shot right now. So I voted no. They have been exceptional. They have been the best pair in the National Hockey League in terms of goals allowed as a duo because they haven't yet. And they're the only pair to have that clean sheet. But I do think this is on borrowed time for one reason or another, no matter how splendid they've been. I I, I think... They're going to ride it out, I think, for as long as they possibly can. Right now, the the minutes to me aren't too concerning. Um, but it's October, like yeah. But I, you're in March. But again, we've got lots of history of number one defensemen playing thirty minutes. Like it, it's happened. Um, they're nowhere near that right now. Um, it's not ideal, Blake. Well, no, not for the whole season. But that's, as I said, well, that's I, it. I, I think that you ride it out, though. You juice this mm-hmm. for as absolutely long as you possibly can. So I, I think they're going to keep going with it. I mean, they're so good when they're out there, and I don't mean just the stat, the unavoidable stat of no goals against five on five. I, I mean, like they are Mona Lisa to watch on the ice. They really are mm-hmm. exquisite. Because they're not only uh, you know can they play defensively, they're just they're great skaters. They seem to have chemistry. So um, more please, mm-hmm. but I do understand the balance thing. It only well, I don't I don't think in an, it in and of itself has not revealed itself just yet. And yeah. maybe maybe they are confident. Maybe while we don't necessarily see it publicly any momentum for a trade, maybe they feel like they are within two to three weeks of making a trade that gives them space or making a trade that gives them directly a defenseman that they figure they can get to that finish line. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking it out. Like if you were to lose Cole to an injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you make adjustments. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it would that would change the... I would think that would change the equation. Probably. Do you think he's so hell-bent against lefties on the right side that we're not even going to see that experiment no. in any kind of real way with either Cole or Susie? I think Tockett's old school in a lot of ways, but I do see a guy who's uh, not that stubborn. I would agree. So I, I, w- I would think he just needs to be at the end of his rope, if you will, to, to go mm-hmm. to that length. Um, and I think he would go there if they absolutely need to. Well, I, I'm very pleased that we're not leading today's show with Vasily Pudkolson yeah, because yeah. there is great news about Vasily Pudkolson after he takes that terrible hit last night in the Abbotsford Canucks game, is prone on the ice, is convulsing, and is stretchered off. It was fantastic to see him get on social media from the hospital last night and 
proclaim that it is all good. And then this morning he was seen around Rogers Arena walking around. So all of the news now is good about Vasily Podkolzin, and we can start wondering about his return to playing hockey as opposed to the more dire circumstances that I'm sure were coursing through the hearts and minds of the Canucks and Canucks fans yesterday watching that awful scene at Abbey Center. So I didn't like the hit. I don't I don't like when there's that follow through and you um increase the momentum of a player who's falling to the ice. Many drew the parallel to Elias Pettersson and Mike Matheson you may remember with the Florida Panthers a few years ago. To me that one was a little more brazen, a little bit more um outside the bounds than this one, but still it's not a great play and he hits him when he sees both yeah. numbers. So uh, a, a terrible hit, a terrible incident, a terrible result, and thankfully a happier conclusion that Pud Colson is back and if not feeling himself uh, at least back and able to go to the rink and and interact with teammates. Yeah, I, it, it doesn't sound like at least if he's out there in uh Beautiful sunny day like it is today, you know. Um, you, you hope that's a good sign for concussion symptoms that he's able to be in the bright light and that sort of thing. Although clearly there was an injury sustained there for them to take it so seriously in the moment as well. So hard to speculate, um, but you have uh, a few signs to go on, and all that is really uh, positive for Facility Podcoles and who you're pulling from, um, not from a fans like, oh, we need him. Uh, good, he's not injured because we need him. Um, you're feeling good for the human. I'm sure that he was feeling really excited about his start to the season. So right. um, I'm I'm hopeful for yeah. him that he can get that mojo back here really quickly and get back on the ice. And Keaton Middleton, the uh, Colorado Eagles player who hit him, goes six six and two forty. Yeah, Blake. Oh, it was so, a big thud. It's a big body well, going down too. It's a big thud. Too. It's a big body, and if you're six six two forty, you don't need to add the extra, you know, push down to the ice that we saw last night. Anyways, uh, despite the Pud Colson injury, of course, overshadowing everything about that game last night, Abbotsford did win it 5-2, to two, so their good start continues. We're continuing to see some positive signs on the farm and with development, two-point night for Atu Ratu last night. Yeah, he's been he playing that. He fourth that. line, so yes, he absolutely uh, needed that, and Arthur... Archer Shilofs bounces back. He allowed seven goals on the weekend in a oh, there was one stinker loss. Last night. Yeah, a shootout loss, but he makes twenty eight saves on thirty on thirty shots against last night uh, for Abbotsford. And uh, we'll speak later with Patrick Johnson because he had written a story about Vasily Podkolzin and the new baby and how his life has changed and all of that, which. Uh, Needless to say, um, soon as he hit the ice last night, the entirety of the conversation about Vasily Podkolzin changed, uh, alas, only for a few hours, and that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic news. Um, we got more details from Elliot Friedman on his boat interview. This is a famous boat interview now, huh? Yeah, well, they, they, released, a, uh, yeah. they released a deep cut on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Director's cut, if you will. Quite a boat party. <laughs> exactly. Um, and look. I think some of this is stuff that we already knew. Uh, in some cases, Elias just got a little bit more detailed. He talked about how he's just a shy guy. He doesn't particularly like talking before groups. I think 
we all knew that with regards to the captaincy. I think the question was, okay, is it so pronounced that he just doesn't even want the C because that forces him in that position? Well, we know the outcome of that story. And uh, we also learned he's eating 5,000 calories a day to bulk up, put more weight on that slender frame. And you do, when you look at the before and after pictures of, you know, when we first saw him as a Vancouver Canuck and how skinny he was, and he certainly looks a little bit more, well, let me let me put it this way, and anyone who's played basketball will understand. There's a difference between a high school basketball player and a YMCA basketball player, right? Like when you go to the Y, you're playing some men, yeah. and they have men bodies and they have man strength, as opposed to when you're posting playing. up at the Y. Yeah, is a little bit no, different. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a t- entirely different. I remember when we thought we were a pretty good high school team, we said, "Let's go down to the Y and just you know get a run in with." Some older guys. Yeah, we did the same thing at Bonser and and Burnaby. It was was the same idea. And uh, I was a post player in high school, and uh, at the Y, I was, uh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just getting in the way of much stronger people who were going to the hoop. So anyways, um, yeah, he's a, he's a, a bigger, more muscular athlete these days, and I think that's part and parcel of why he is developing and maturing into the superstar that we see before our eyes. Um, Also, Elliot uh, noted that it's clear he values his relationship with Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes in particular. And I think that has also been very well known uh, in and around the Canucks, that there is a very, very strong friendship there between that young group that came up together, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson. Uh, I know Trex Datcher was a part of that group when he was a Vancouver Canuck alas. You know, the question is, will the friendships with Besser and Hughes be enough to keep him here if the Vancouver Canucks have a poor season and they can't get together on agreement on a new contract extension? We shall see a lot of that to play out as the season goes along. Yes, indeed. Um, I I think it'll, it'll find its way. You know, and of course, the other thing, the dynamic between him and JT Miller, how is that going to play out? And of course, they... We said many, many times, they don't have to be friends. They just have to be good professional collaborators. And I think one of the things that Elias Pettersson is going to have to determine as he goes through his calculation on the Vancouver Canucks and whether or not he's willing to sign any of their offers on the you know money term and trade protection, all the things that go into that, but also in terms of building a winner, is JT Miller good enough to be the second forward on a cup team because that's one of the equations before them right now. Jonathan LeCaramacchi may turn out, you know, as we go forward here. Uh, It's possible the Vancouver Canucks make a trade or draft another player or get somebody emerge from out of nowhere who, you know, turns into a frontline player. But as it stands right now... He's not a center, though. They, you know, well, Elias Patterson, yeah. JT Miller, those are your two guys yeah. up front who are anchoring lines. But people do change when they want to change, and I think JT Miller wants to evolve still. I don't, He's been excellent. Uh, you got to give him credit. Yeah. And particularly on... And he said it last year at the beginning of the season with regards to defensive play. We didn't always see it on the ice. But this year it's been more pronounced. It's harder to invest. It's harder to invest in March of a very losing season, like or in January even. Like when you know your season is sunk, 
God, it would be hard as a, as a player oh, yeah. to say, okay, now I'm going to give 170% and I'm going to attend to all the details, even I know it, it'll all be for naught. Like, I, it, that would be tough to reconcile. Now with a clean slate and now with a good ahem start, uh, more on that coming up in Prices Right, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a lot easier to, uh, mm-hmm. to invest in yourself, right? So I think he's doing that right now. A new one for the National Hockey League today. Shane Pinto, Ottawa Senators forward, has been suspended 41 games for gambling activities. And I say a new one because this isn't the first time that a National Hockey League gambling scandal has broken out. In fact, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, Rick Tockett, was at the center of one way back when, when the culture around sports gambling was much different mm-hmm. than it is today. In fact, it wasn't legal. It wasn't just a cultural change. It was an actual legal change. And, of course, back when Tockett was involved in a gambling ring, you can suspect that the people taking those bets were unsavory characters. Uh, a little different these days, as we all know. But the league throws the book at him for gambling-related activities related to sports wagering. Now, there's part of this process that has worked exactly as it should. Shane Pinto had an account with a gambling operation, with a sports gaming operation that, in fact, is a league partner to the National Hockey League, ironically enough. The gaming operation saw some unusual activity on his account and flagged it with the league. Which is exactly what they should do. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a it's a great warning shot across the bow mm-hmm. of you, you're not going to be able to escape this unless you jump through a lot of hoops and really right. go deep in, underground. Now, there's a suggestion there was a third party here. It's unclear what they mean by that. It is very unclear but they, what the National Hockey League means by that. And this is, brings me to the part where the process hasn't necessarily worked, or at least not to my satisfaction, and I would suspect not to the satisfaction of many hockey fans. And that is, the National Hockey League needs to tell its public what Shane Pinto did that was wrong. They need to specify. Because there is, of course, a world of difference between Shane Pinto betting on hockey games, NHL games, Ottawa Senators games, be the gravest sin, or just putting wagers on an NFL Sunday. If you look at the National Football League, they know full well that they, like every other sports league, like every other sports media property these days, is involved with a sports gaming partner. It would be hypocritical for them to tell their players, hey, we can't have you betting on basketball or soccer or something that's out there. Yeah. You know, they're people, they're citizens too. They have those rights. What the NFL has told its players is there is a hard line around our league and betting on football to the point where they don't even allow any wagering on team property, on team grounds. Mm -hmm. If you go into baseball clubhouses, and I've been to many in my career, there are massive signs in the clubhouse that point out the gravity of the sin of betting, particularly Effect, on baseball. Effectively Pete Rose signs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And of the all-time hit king in Major League Baseball is not a member of the Hall of Fame 
because of his wagering. I would hope that the communiques are going out to the players so that they are crystal clear on what exactly uh, happened. I and would they do a seminar at the beginning of the year, Blake. That's supposed to make it crystal. But I would hope they, they add clarity to this because... It, it, Clarity on this helps prevent it from happening again because guys might be unclear. Oh, that is included in this clause. I didn't know that that would be included. You have to give some clarity on this, certainly behind the scenes to the players, but I think even outwardly as well, so that there is a check and balance here on exactly what's happened. 41 games could be extremely stiff, could be extremely lenient depending on the infraction. So I, I we're getting little tidbits, but it's best if the league was like, why are we relying and on the reporters no, to do the work? Yeah, no further comment from the league, and then just you know leaking to reporters, and, and of course that is the modus operandi of this administration. Yeah, you know as as Damian Cox said in Toronto today, and I think he's right here. He says another day when something important happens in the NHL, and Gary Bettman has nothing to say. Has anybody even seen this guy lately? Well, he was on Frozen Frenzy from his living room yeah. the other night. But Adam Silver seems to be out all the time talking. Right. And especially on the tough topics. Yeah. Charles Barkley threw him a fastball the other day yeah, about domestic violence in the NBA in a disturbing number of cases. So I would like if the NHL comes out, I know transparency isn't their thing, but I do think it behooves the NHL to come out and just explain... And and particularly for Ottawa Senators fans now who are going, okay, we were hoping to get Sean, uh, Shane Pinto signed in in our lineup because we're struggling a little right now. But, hey, when he's in our lineup, we're a pretty good team. Maybe even a playoff team for the first time in a number of years. Because this is a half season. Like, this is one of the biggest suspensions in NHL history. And yet at the same and time. And people are drawing comparison and going, you're telling me the Chicago Blackhawks and everything that yeah, they yeah. covered up on a sexual abuse scandal is a lesser crime than this. Okay, so then what's the crime? Yeah. Detail what happened to us. And yeah, covering things up and keeping things behind closed doors didn't really do you well in the Chicago side of things. So No, but that just doesn't seem to be a lesson that's resonating with Batman. And that's no. and you know, particularly in a world now where you have a lot more eyeballs, a lot more coverage on you on a day to day, hour to hour basis. So I continue to say, like, I just don't believe he's today's man. I just don't believe he's the right guy to lead this league. The other issue with this is that there seems to be, according to Elliot Friedman, some suggestion that because he's unsigned, um, he will be able to sign past December the 1st and play in right. the league, which is, of course, well, a, the suspension a has already started here. Yeah. They're counting these Ottawa Senators game games that he's not a part of and uh, that he's not only not a part of, but not even under contract. Yeah. So I mean, it, you can even argue he's not a member of the Ottawa Senators right now, and yet they're counting those games. Which is a little bit of leniency here. Yeah, for sure. Now, Pinto has taken a lot of hits, and he's already offered a apology. But perhaps the biggest hit is that the Ottawa Senators have retracted their contract offer to him. And for those who don't know, he was a restricted free agent. They just don't have the cap space to fit him right now. And so he was playing this awful waiting game where he's trying to stay busy skating on his own waiting for the Senators to be able to carve out enough cap space to register the contract with the league and get him back playing NHL games. Well, now, and this would suggest that the Ottawa Senators were unaware until recently. It's been a couple the, of weeks of them knowing it. Yeah. yeah. They have 
taken that offer off the table, and it sounds like he's just going to have to sign his qualifying offer. So this is going to be a big financial hit for Shane Pinto, and I'm sure many would say, hey, rightfully so. His QO is 874, which is a dollars $500,000 haircut mm-hmm. from his ELC. This is from a guy coming off a pretty nice season. Yeah, oh, he's so a decent player. It's going to be very interesting, but you're right. I mean, even if, he sa- if, if this suspension ever happened, he signed today. Mm-hmm. He's two weeks away from playing, so mm-hmm. he's effectively... Is he actually suspended for 41 games or is he effectively suspended for 20? Mm-hmm. Because he wasn't coming back in the opening 20 games of the season probably anyway. Yeah. And, you know, the NHL, and boy, you, you read the, the press release, the league investigation found no evidence that Pinto made any wagers on NHL games. The NHL considers this matter close. Like, Nothing to see here. Again, always with yeah, this league. Yeah, yeah. No, I... Uh, <clears throat> Except for when there's a exceedingly amounts of things to see, and you still say there's nothing to see here. Gary doesn't address things like 41-game gambling suspensions for players, but he never misses an opportunity to go at the media hysteria. Yeah, exactly. Uh, More league news today. Teams voted overwhelmingly, according to our friend Frank Cervelli, to decentralize the draft, and that may start as soon as next year's draft, 2024. I would bet it does. Mm-hmm. I would bet it does. Uh, here's Frank from his daily face-off piece. Some GMs loathe the relative invasion of privacy, being forced to make all-important franchise decisions in an arena filled with fans while just sitting steps away from the competitors, while others voted based on economics and time constraints. I mean, invasion is a strong word. You have security everywhere around that draft floor. There are no fans that are getting onto the draft floor. The only media that is on the draft floor are the broadcast rights holders who are presenting the draft. And approved by you. And approved by you. Yeah. And again, another transparency matter here. That's the one day a year where... NHL fans can look and go, oh, so-and-so's talking to so-and-so. Oh, look who's on the phone again. It's great theater. Yeah. Like, if this is intended to make the draft a better television product, and I'm not sure it is because, frankly, the NHL doesn't think, know, or understand television even after all these years, and that gets back to who's running the league. Uh, If this is meant to make the draft a better television product, I'm not necessarily sure decentralizing does that. I can understand how it's a little bit more... uh, Logistic, logistically difficult, surreptitious to have to conduct your trading business on the draft floor. I mean, text messages are one-to-one communication, though, right? And silent at that. I mean, there's nothing preventing Steve Wise, Steve Oserman from texting Joe Sackick. I this think, guy for this guy. I think it has the potential to lubricate the wheels of negotiations a bit more. I think it has the potential to make the TV show a little more succinct and palatable for the viewer. But I do think it has the potential, also the risk of making the NHL draft seem smaller, seem less of a big seem smaller, seem less important because the one thing about the major, uh, one thing about the NHL draft, and it's somewhat like the Major League Baseball draft, is very few people know the players being drafted. And frankly, once you get past the first, well, in some cases, one, Mm -hmm. in some cases, not even any at all, 
I mean, how well known was Yuri Slavkovsky across casual circles before yeah. the Montreal Canadiens picked him number one a couple of years back? The Bedards, McDavid's, yeah, fair enough. And, you know, when you start branching out, the hardcore hockey fans know them all. And then the, you know, the next year know most or many. Uh, nevertheless, the NFL and the NBA, well, a lot of the players are accustomed to playing before audiences that number in the millions on U.S. network television yep. and beyond. And, you know, to me, the other thing, Blake, it was the one thing that distinguished your draft, that made you different, unique. Like, to me, the object there with the NHL is don't blend in, stand out. But I am done with the, the parties on the on I know the, on you're the done with those parties. Get beyond the parties on the stage, Blake. Just, just get beyond that. You want the happy medium of everybody there, but the commissioner doling out the the draft picks. If you want, yeah, or just the GM walking up. Are you okay with that? No. no? Okay. No. So you want the commissioner announcing every pick? Yeah, not because I want to see more Gary, just because I want this. I, I send it. We're not waiting for the walk up. Like the walk up is so unneeded. You don't think it builds the no. tension and the drama at all? No, I do not. All right. Others voted based on economics. Talk about making the NHL look small. Exactly. Well, it costs too much to travel. Hotels are expensive. Yeah. That sounds like a an Arizona request. That sounds like a Columbus request. That's very much, yes. Yeah. The varying economics team to team in the National Hockey League strikes again. Maybe add 12,000 right. seats to your arena and you won't right. worry so much about. Right. And it's not like other leagues don't have varying economics. Like, for example, last year, the Dallas Cowboys, Blake, they made a profit of more than $400 million. Profit. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills made a profit at like $65 million. They mm-hmm. were the low end of the scale. But, of course, once you're into those sorts of financials. Does it matter? Yeah. Travel budgets are pretty easy. Kansas City Royals versus LA Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. The National Hockey League still has this vast disparity about teams in good markets that can drive great revenue, like this one, particularly when they're winning, or New York, Toronto, versus teams in markets that really just don't care for ice hockey all that much. and So you don't get those local revenues driven. And then the time constraints, and, you know, this one got me too because, oh, well, we got to hustle back to prospects camp. Is there anything preventing them from pushing prospects camp a week? I've always wondered why they insist no, on rushing it all. That, that's, that, that's what I've always wondered. Why is it that you have to do your prospect camp within days of the draft? Can't the kids go home, R&R, and then exactly. meet you? Go home, have for those who attended, go home, have a party with your friends. Yeah, you got drafted. Maybe it's for the Euro kids so they don't have this yeah, dead I mean, time in between. Surely there was a solution there as well. Yeah. Anyways, we'll see what goes on. If next year the draft comes and it's a much better television property, we all have more fun, babe. I uh, I will stand to be corrected on this one. But uh, I'm not necessarily sure what's being gained here other than uh, a few dollars not having to travel and a few people who are in town with a few more hours to spend on the prospects camp, which to me is not necessarily a good trade-off to... You know, just uh, be formulaic with your draft and fall in a line with other leagues. A long time ago at the NHL draft, the Vancouver Canucks chose a kid by the name of Cody Hodgson. Mm-hmm. He was going to be the next one. I remember. Until he wasn't. 
I remember that too. He was traded on a deadline day deal to the Buffalo Sabers, which had us stunned. Do you remember that, Blake? I was I was uh, working uh, on the television side for that deadline, and I was with Darren Pang and Ray Ferraro in Calgary, and we all kind of looked at each other like, "Really?" I was on the radio, I think, with BMAC. T-Mart was producing. I remember that. And we're like, wait, what? Yeah. Hudson? Quiz. The young apple in the organization's eye. Remember, he was going to be the third center after Henrik Sedin and Ryan Kessler and give the Canucks incredible depth, the reigning CHL player of the year, the Canadian World Junior Gold Medalist. What's that, Grady? Name the other two defensemen involved in that trade. Ooh. Um... Marc-Andre Gragnani. Very good. It wasn't Lucas Krychek, was it? No. No, he was in the Florida booth. It was a slick skating yeah. guy, though. Um, oh. German. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I can't think of his name. No, give it to me. Alexander Sulzer. 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 There you yeah. go. That's it. Uh, Who so was, was he playing? Was he on the Canucks at that time? Because he was kind of like a quad A defenseman, as I recall. Yeah, I don't know that he played. I a forget ton of if games. they were both roster players or if they were. Uh, yeah, Grandiani played shows. fourteen games that year. Salzer played twelve, mm-hmm. so he, they were part time players. But of course, the the key player coming back in that deal was Zach Cassian, right. yes. who we thought was okay. Bigger for sure because that was a mm-hmm. knock on on Hodson. He couldn't play physically, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. But was the upside good enough there for Zach Cassian? The answer yep. was ultimately no. And Zach Cassian retires today after parts of twelve seasons in really? the National Hockey League. Oh wow! Uh, his second highest goal total ever for his career was actually with the Canucks. He had two seasons of fifteen uh, with the Oilers, but one of fourteen with the Canucks. The one full full season he got in with the Canucks, seventy three games, twenty nine points. Like, not a bad year, especially for a guy that was still at that age, just 23 years of age. Um, but he ultimately did not blossom into the full-throated power forward in the top six that a guy chosen 13th overall would have been hoped to have been. Um, and, of course, behavioral issues uh, would, would dog him. And uh, But still, 661 games, Matt. I mean, we, were, we were just looking over careers recently, guys like... You know Eric Lindros and stuff like that that only got to seven sixty. I mean, like, like the, this is a pretty good career for for Zach Cassian, who battled injury and a bunch of other stuff and a bunch of suspensions yeah. uh, as well along the along the way. He, um, I forget the opponent, but I want to say it was like a mid season game, and he scored a game winner. I want to say in overtime. That was a beautiful goal. And I can remember being at a downtown. It was on the road, if I'm not mistaken. I remember being at a downtown bar, and the place just erupted. People wanted good things for him. And there were people coming up to me. He's arrived. The power forward. Yeah. The next Bertuzzi. The, you know, yeah, all yeah, of those things. That was things. the dream. And, like, I would suggest Ian Cassian moved better than Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi had the incredible hands. Uh, Zach so did, strong. Zach did yeah. not have Bertuzzi um, hands. But he was, he was a good skater, yeah. But he was a darn good skater for his size. And, yeah, the raw tools. I think if you give the Gillis and Gilman regime truth serum, and, in fact, Lawrence admitted this with us once upon a time, there were two trades where they weren't entirely sure about the guy coming back, which... Never a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. One was the David Booth trade. The other 
was the Cassian trade. I don't think they fully knew everything that was going on in Zach's life. But that does speak to the issue they had with Cody Hodson, oh, that they were willing no to pull the trigger question. on this deal. No question. Yeah. And and frankly, in terms of moving Cody out, they were right. I mean, he did not last all that much longer. No, but that was more hockey. health than anything. No, he, fair enough. He had that one great year in Buffalo, yeah. and they gave him the big money, and then it didn't turn out. Yeah, for a second there, it looked like it was a disaster of a deal after he has a 20-goal, 44-point season with the Sabres. I can remember that was getting, the high watermark, though. I can remember getting a call and a tip, Blake, when I was sitting at my desk at the Globe, and somebody said to me, boy, the Hudson camp isn't very happy here. And that was in Brampton, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, the OHL. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they go, well, he was the first-line center here last year. Matt Duchesne was the second-line center, and Duchesne's already in the NHL. And I was like, well, but Duchesne's playing for a wretched Colorado Avalanche team. Yeah. Like, they had nothing but roster space, and they needed, you know, some good tidings there. They needed, you know, somebody to come in and, and, and like, yeah, but that's not the way they're seeing it. Yeah, I'm sure. And I I went, how could they not be seeing it that way? There's Kessler and Henrik Sedin here. Yeah, of course you're not going to play a 19 year old center. You're trying to win a cup. Colorado's trying to win another lottery. Cody was remarkable though in junior. My goodness, oh yeah, 53 game season with Brampton in his penultimate year, 92 points in 53 games. And honestly, Blake and I spent a fair bit of time with him at the World Juniors that uh, Canada won in Ottawa on that Tavares PK Subban team was sensational. He was player of the tournament, wasn't he? Well, I I, I think Tavares wound up getting it at the end. Did he? Okay. But, uh, I, but he was CHL player of the year. He though. was CHL player of the year yeah. and everybody who watched that tournament when it could have easily gone to Cody Hodson. Yeah. And, and and Blake, he walked and talked and looked like your model NHL prospect or player. Yeah. You know, like he had that square jaw and he had that sort of strut about him. And he kind of spoke there like was, Bo Horvat. There was like a comp- he was, exactly. Yeah. He had that maturity, that emotional maturity you all thought that was there. I can remember him giving some just terrific, well-thought-out, smart, and he was a smart kid on top of everything else. So I would have bet a lot of money on Cody Hudson yeah. being a, a fantastic National Hockey Leaguer. All right, moving on. BC Lions, BC Place, a week from Saturday, 3.30 p.m., kickoff of the West Division semifinal versus Calgary. And... We're giving away tickets. Text hashtag Lions to 778-402-9680 for your chance to win. This comes with a Team Store gift card, a food and bev voucher. We'll award a, we will name the winner, mention on the show, award the prize next week. Because, of course, this is the final weekend of the Canadian Football League regular season. The BC Lions have a bye. The other thing the Lions have announced here. For fans in the interior and on the island, they are once again facilitating your transportation to and from the game with a couple of partners. Hello! The Island Express. Hello, ferries. From Nanaimo. Takes you downtown, walking distance from BC Place. The 11 a.m. ferry is recommended. There's a special 10.30 p.m. sailing back to Nanaimo. So we'll get you there and back same day. BC Lions fans on the island. Something you've always wanted. Also, the Interior Express, again, runs through Kamloops, 
and Kelowna round trip bus travel through Sun Fun Tours. So they're looking to pack the dome at BC Place a week from Saturday, and they are helping you out with your transportation options, which of course has become a part of the Amar Doman uh, protocol there. I believe they did it for six different games this year. So more terrific stuff, more heads up marketing from the BC Lions. Looking forward to seeing what the crowd is going to be for the West Division Semi. Their tagline here is bring the noise, fill the dome. Something else that has come up here that I think uh, very much works in the BC Lions' favor. Blake, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are sitting 11 starters. Boy, oh boy. In their season finale against Calgary with nothing to play for, including the quarterback, Zach Caleros. They've already done this. Drew Brown is going to start at quarterback. They are also resting the two uh, outstanding defensive ends, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat. Our old friend Adam Big Hill is not playing in this football game. Our old friend Winston Rose, ex-Lions, are not playing in this football game. Nick Dembski, who had a terrific year, the Canadian slotback, is not playing in this game. And many others. Brady Oliveira is? Uh, I did not see Oliveira um, listed amongst the scratches. And he is the MOP candidate from the Winnipeg chapter of the football writers. So Over Claros. Yeah. And I know there were some ticked. Uh, I, I know some, I, th- I thought I saw three down headlines say they do, the voters in Winnipeg just got bored of Caleros. As you know, I was in Oliveira's camp because of, I just think what he's done this more year exceptional. is more exceptional yeah. at running back and yeah. given the rest of the league. You see what rushing totals are. You see what Oliveira does. So The other thing, I saw our friend Derek Taylor at DT on OB. Sean White is the most outstanding special teams player this season. 23 points above the expected based on the kicks he was asked to try. Blake, this season is more than 10 points above expected, better than the second-place finisher, and it's even better than Justin Medlock, who had some sensational seasons with the Bombers a number of years ago. So it's all looking like the BC Lions may well get some League Awards this year with Matthew Betts, Matthew Betts in a couple of categories, most outstanding Canadian, most outstanding defensive player, as well as Sean White. BC Place also going to be packed, we suspect, a week from Sunday when the Whitecaps play their MLS playoff game. That's November 5th. They already have 20,000 tickets sold. Of course, the first game is down in LAF, down in LA against LAFC this Saturday. Vanny Sartini saying they need a perfect match to beat the reigning champions at home. They already have a home. They already have a win there at LAFC this year. Yeah, it should be fun, though, for both of those teams, Lions and the Whitecaps, to both have some serious run-up to sell tickets. Love that. Um, and if the Whitecaps could somehow find a way to 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 get that game in LAFC, how many more yeah. pe- how many more tickets do you sell when you got a chance to move on? So hopefully yeah. that happens. Want to shout out and acknowledge all the inductees to the BC Sports Hall oh, of Fame. Yes. Including our dear friend Dick Zokel, who got in, and a marvelous Congrats selection. And Don Taylor, of course, our media friend and, of course, former colleague back at the old 1040. Oh, for me, all the way back to sports page. Right, yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, also, I think everybody saw the announcement from Chris Faber 
yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wish Chris well. Chris is going to join us next Wednesday. It'll be his final hit with Sakarison Price before he moves on to his new venture. As a matter of fact, uh, we got the word yesterday when we were golfing at uh, Northlands. That's why I played so bad. Right. Yeah. You were shook yeah. on the Faber news. And I'll say this. I've played warmer rounds. I've played better rounds. I'm not sure I've played more enjoyable rounds. So thank you to Jared Harmon, our dude from Search and Rescue Marketing, for coming on out and joining us. And, of course, it was incredible condition, especially given all the really wind yeah. that the North Shore got on Tuesday evening. Lastly here, baseball, the Vancouver Canadians making an announcement today. They are effectively sticking with the schedule that you have known the last couple of years in that Bailey Stadium. So that's 1 p.m. start times on Saturdays through the spring up to and including the Canada Day matinee. It's still Friday nooners. It's still 7 p.m. Saturdays after July 1st. And, of course, 1 p.m. starts Tuesday through Thursday and on Sundays going forward. Let's get to the menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Greta on Cordova, a fantastic place to watch the game throughout the season, the playoffs, and, of course, into the off season. We'll talk with Patrick Johnson. He was at Canucks practice today on a number of topics, including the Hughes-Ronick defense pair, Vasily Podkolzin, Nils Hoaglander, the start to this season, and the NHL dealing with a gambling matter for the first time in years. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Rob Williams, Rob the Hockey Guy, stops by with a very funny Don Taylor story that you need to hear as well. We talked to Rob about, well, the best ever era for the Lions and Caps concurrently. It is the case. Counting MLS play, they have never been this good. And playing home playoff games in the same season together like we've seen this year. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Time now for The Price is Right. And lo and behold, the Canucks have good vibes in the city past October the 25th. Believe it or not, that's an accomplishment in these parts. But when is a good start actually a quote-unquote good start? Well, two answers to that. Firstly, when it's demonstrably different from previous years. And so, at 4-2 and two on the season, Canucks have already accomplished that. With a game still to come versus the Blues on Friday, the Canucks will have between 8 and 10 points on the season versus just 2 points at that stage of the season a year ago when they were infamously 0-5-2. So from that perspective, yes, it's been a quote-unquote good start to the season. In the bigger picture, however, a truly good start is one that sets you up for the rest of the season. One that shows over a bigger sample you are ready to be that kind of a team. To me, that's still the 20-game mark. This season, the 20-game mark happens to fall one day earlier than last, but against the same team, the Canucks will get there after their game versus the Avalanche on November the 22nd. Yes, 
The Ken Holland rule is officially in effect here. Where are you on American Thanksgiving? History has told us that on average, about 80% of the playoff spots are spoken for as of that date. If you're not in there, you're competing for one, maybe two spots. Last year, the Canucks were in the midst of a five-game winning streak. Pardon me, winning five of six at that point. But still, we're three games below 500 at 7-10-3. Not good enough then, not good enough by season's end either. The Holland rule held true. You may have 62 games left at that point, but your fate is almost sealed. But again, only seven wins at that point for the Canucks. By the end of this week, with games on Friday and Saturday, they could have six already. The opportunity is there for the Canucks to put themselves in a position of success, to keep the fans engaged through the holiday break, heck, to keep the fans on the edge of their seats into spring. The only thing in the way could be themselves. So the price is right for today. Send us any feedback into the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680. Great Clips, the official hair salon of the NHL. Greatclips.com to find the salon nearest you. Couldn't disagree more. And at the uh, risk of going winter tires on you. <laughs> Blake, since 1582, mm. we have organized society by the Gregorian calendar. 365 days divided into 12 months. Yep. Your 20-game start is a quarter of the season. To which you acknowledge, you can be buried. You can be fully out of it. 20 games since this. So to me, you have moved well beyond the start. If you can chalk up this season as a lost one. Or know what you are or what you aren't. To paraphrase Ken Holland. By American Thanksgiving in the 20 game mark. That to me is the second signpost of the National Hockey League season. Why can't we just say the season's first month of October, nine games? Is that not starty enough for you? I mean, but again... You I know could, it's not a round number, but... Yeah, that makes me itch, honestly, oh, you really? say nine games. And, and honestly, we could move this back to the, like, the first week. You'd be like, oh, come on, it's the first week of the season. That's a no, start. No, 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 I mean, no, 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 no. Twelve months. Yeah. We work on a 12-month calendar for a purpose. Look at everything that is tied to the month, right? Matt, the, the NHL doesn't even play do- for like several of those months. I don't know where you're going with the months thing. It's just a commonly understood form of organization. It's a unit time. of measurement. A unit it is. Of, yes. See, I just go by games. Like, if you told me that the NHL regular season had gone to 62 games, I'd be like, okay, that sounds probably just about right. So at the 20-game mark, you still have what I think is a reasonable length full season left to play. That leads me to believe it is merely a start. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit.
Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Go check them out at the Richmond Auto Mall. Yes, uh, got Applewood Nissan there, but Applewood Mitsubishi so near and dear to my heart after spending a couple of months driving Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid mm-hmm. edition. Uh, see what it means to never visit the pumps. Literally, been to the pump once since I got the car. Folks, that could be you and with... Uh, today's fuel prices, doesn't that sound good? Go take one for a test drive. Fall in love with the Mitsubishi Outlander at Applewood Mitsubishi. Bodog poll question today. Will the Hughes-Hronick pairing last all season? Yes or no? You can vote at some Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source for casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day from me. How about the New Orleans Saints going into Indianapolis this weekend? Both safeties listed as questionable. Both offensive tackles listed as questionable. The starting tight end, starting linebacker, and running back Alvin Kamara, as well as gadget guy Taysom Hill, also hurt and questionable. Other than that, though, everybody's okay. Other yeah. than that, they're in perfectly fine <laughs> health. I mean, this reminds me of the Canucks defense score several years ago. Add it all up. I'll take the Colts in a pick em game on your Bodog line of the day. Patrick Johnston of the province and post media joins us from UBC, where the Vancouver Canucks are practicing. No, Rogers. Rogers, baby. Oh, is it? He's an O's. Yes. Know your geography, Matt. Know your backgrounds. There's no. Well, it's just I, you know, UBC's the de facto practice facility. Yeah, I enough. thought, you know, sure enough, there's got to be a concert. Uh, oh no, yeah, amazing. My bad, no Rogers tonight. Arena. There he is. How yeah. you doing? <laughs> I'm good. A little chilly up here, level 500, but I can see practice. J Pat's down there somewhere. Yes, you're our uh, bird bird's eye view view of practice and. Uh, uh, hey, they get back at it. This is a chance to shake off uh, the the road trip. There's no need to worry about first game back after a long road trip here. Is there, PJ? No, never. When you're the rest of the team and you're playing a team coming from Calgary the night before, that's never a trap game ever. No, 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 <laughs> never. But honestly, like, don't make an excuse. Don't don't make us question that. Uh, I honestly don't. Th- there shouldn't be a good reason why they don't look good tomorrow. No, the the that. Yes, they're the rested team. Uh, the Blues, who can't seem to score, are in Calgary tonight and lost in Winnipeg on Tuesday. Uh, and this is a Canucks team that, I mean, okay, some of the goals have come through bounces. Um, they're, they're definitely out shooting their expected goals. Uh, but coming off, I would say, other than that opening night win, the most comprehensive performance of the season. They, they played a solid, quality road game on Tuesday night to beat Nashville, a team that's probably not that great, but nonetheless defended well, did all the kind of bits and pieces that we need to see from this team to think that they actually have something going this season. And they're in the right spot. They're in the spot they want to be. They're four and two. Uh, And you mentioned the Blues, 11 goals in five games. So, yeah, there is no scoring there. Uh, And and frankly, PJ, um, an opponent much like Nashville, if you take a look at last year's standings, St. Louis finished just a little behind the Canucks, Nashville a little bit ahead. Yeah. These are the sorts of conference games that may take on more weight as we get down towards March and look at the playoff bar and who's in and who's out. Well, especially as we try to figure out how the specific division is going to shake out. Like, are they going to try to – is this going to be a division that's going to steal the uh, the overlap spot into the Central? Um, I think coming into the season, we maybe thought that was a possibility. I'm not so sure about that now, given the struggles of the Oilers and the Flames, but it is a long season. And yes, these as this team well knows, you know, any any points you give away at this point in the season will, could come back to bite you at the end of the year. And, and certainly when you're playing a conference rival, a team that you are in 
theoretically also chasing for a playoff spot. These kinds of these kinds of games. These are four pointers. These are four pointers already, and you don't want to have the story that they've had the last two years where it comes back to bite them in the butt. Well, and the other story that is emerging, my friend, with a six and zero start from Colorado, a seven or zero start yeah. from the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, you can almost argue we're down to six playoff spots in the Western Conference yeah, already absolutely. with yeah. the quality of those teams. Now, if it was just any team getting off to a good start, you I might trust say, it. Yeah. but but yeah. Th- those are the last two cup champions. So yeah. I, I think we can believe in both those teams being yeah. real yeah. and going to secure their spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. It's the teams that start four and two. Like you're right. Canucks, mm-hmm. that you're like, hmm, is this a real start or is this just a run of uh, good good luck, good opportunity, what have you? I, it's exactly it. Again, this is the kind of game. If you fancy yourself a playoff team at the end of the year, you gotta be winning these games more often than not. I um, I caught your story on Vasily Podkolson yesterday, being a new father and all that it entails, uh, particularly on his free time or what free time. Uh, at this stage of the game with a newborn. Uh, we also had a post that went out yesterday talking about Vasily Podkolson and his fantastic start with the Abbotsford Canucks. But of course, the entirety of the conversation changed uh, around Vasily Podkolson last night after he took that hit and that awful scene with him down on the ice convulsing and stretchered off. But you got a chance to catch up with him or at least message with him. Bye. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him briefly. You know, I talked to him on the phone, so I just sent him, hey, you hope you're all right. And, you know, it was after he'd posted on Instagram, so it wasn't like I was jumping over, chasing after anything, just saying, hey, good to see you're doing okay. So, yeah, I think you'll be all right. Heard from uh, Ben Goodman this morning, the PR guy, the hardworking PR guy with the Attitude Canucks, and just sort of said, hey, you know, as I had messaged him, hey, man, that's a scary scene. Hopefully everything's all right. Hopefully you guys are doing okay. He goes, yeah, it was in the moment. But, you know, you get up this morning, and he said, yeah, it was good to, good to hear from Vasily that he's doing well. And, and, um, and, and, you know, is at least in a good spot for now, of course, you know, anytime you have any, it sounds like it was you know, a pretty serious head injury, uh, from the descriptions in the moment. So, you know, today is a new day and you hope that today is better than it was last night and honors and honors and honors, but, uh, yeah, a player who I think was finding his way. And then the story I put together, we talked to, talked to Pug Coles and we talked about being a new father and the sort of pressures that having a newborn bring to the table and, and learning how to reorganize your life a little bit while also having to deal with with the, the ins and outs of being a professional athlete and learning that stuff. And I talked to Jeremy Carlton about that. And he made the point, he's like, listen, you know, this is something that every young person has to learn. They have to learn that being a professional athlete, that success as a professional athlete is about taking care of all the things that you kind of maybe don't want to do. You know, you're a 22-year-old guy, most 22-year-old guys, you know, I think are like any 22-year-old. Oh, I'll get to it, you know. But now he has a kid. He has no choice. There is no time. And this is a point I made, you know, I've made more than once to friends who've had new kids and uh, having, you know, kind of gotten to sort of the certain stage we're at with a five and three-year-old. And I said this to Colton. I said, you know, the thing I used to say is after the first kid, you realize how much time you were wasting before the first kid. And then you have a second kid and you discover you were still wasting time. <laughs> and, and, and Colton, who's a father of three, just started laughing, you know, to a level that you don't often get from a hockey coach. But there was a very understanding appreciation of the point. And, and that was very much where they're at. And I think, you know, I don't think there's been any question of Pat Colson's love of the game. That guy who's always been there first on the ice, first off the ice. Think about 
Bruce Brujo talking about that industry last year, almost having to kick him off the ice because they were like, there's other things you need to take care of. Um, the other thing that stood out for me from that conversation, as you know, hopefully Puck Colson returns to the ice in, in short order, um, was Carlton's point was that, you know, yeah, he's had a good start. Things are going well. He's had a couple really dominant periods. But the point is, is that you need to understand the level you can consistently be in. It's not flipping a switch. It's not going, oh, I'm going to be really good this shift. It's just understanding that your level that you maintain every time you're on the ice, no matter your role, is always what Rick Talk has been talking about, being that energy guy, bringing, you know, every player should be an energy guy. It's not, a, oh, today I'm going to throw a hit. Tonight I'm going to do this. It's every time you're out. And that's the biggest thing Colton said. Yes, now we're working on that sort of consistency. He's been scoring the goals. He, that goal he scored on Tuesday night was kind of why it got me thinking about, about um, writing the story. It was, you know, here he is, he's in overtime. And you can see in the sequence, he is in the neutral zone. He has the puck. He's in control. He pauses to let Archie Baines come out of the zone. And he sees the hole to hit, which is all the way around almost the other side and blows through the Colorado Eagles defense, gets on top of the net, backhand goal, forehand, backhand, like a goal scorer's goal, the kind of goal that a kid of his talent, of his pedigree, should be scoring at that level. And and it's about channeling that and recognizing this is who you can be every time. It's not that you need to score a goal every time, but that every time you're on the ice, there's a chance for you to make something happen. And, and I'm glad that his injury didn't come on a play like that, um, yeah. you know, so that it wouldn't instill fear in, in his ability to go do that again. I mean, I, I'm not glad he got the injury at all, obviously, but, um, but the fact that it comes off a, a rather, you know, he's not doing anything extravagant in the corner. He's just slew footed. Um, and, um, and I, I think that leads you to believe he will still have the confidence to make that play again. I hope when he yeah. gets back on yeah. the ice. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Like there is sort of always going to be that worry that, He's going to have some time to come back and find his confidence again, and, and physically beyond the sort of all the comp, you know, sort of mental game stuff we were talking about, but just literally being on the ice, feeling comfortable. Um, it, it's you know, it certainly sounds like it was, it looked scarier than it actually was. Um, obviously, you know, he got looks like he got knocked out at some point. I mean. Concussions happen in many ways, and you hope that there isn't a lingering effect with this one either. I mean, you know, obviously, we've seen lots of guys come through. You know, Tucker Pullman is sitting on IR with a migraine, but I think probably connected to head yeah. injuries. And, um, you know, you just you just hope that this, yeah, like you said, from a playing standpoint, it doesn't throw them off, and you also hope that from a from just sort of a long term health standpoint. And sometimes it doesn't need to be injury to your head for to keep you away for an unexpected amount of time. Still, no sign of Teddy Bluger for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, PJ, I could have sw- I would have. Uh, it's a bad time to say I would have bet on this uh, with the Pinto suspension, but um, I would have. I would have guessed. If not bet that that Bluger would have been on the ice, not that he would have been ready to play, but I would have bet that he would have been on the ice just to give it a, a twirl. But uh, you know, again, there's there must be something nagging here that's keeping Teddy Bluger away. Yeah, it was uh, it was. I, I think originally we thought it was, I think the term they basically indicated it was a bruise. Obviously, I mean that's what we're, we're trying to think of how long. I mean it's been two weeks now, basically, yeah. right? So um, two and a half weeks. Obviously, it was more of a sprain, you know. It, 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 I, yeah. So he's a guy they want to get in the lineup. They believe in. They want to have more. It certainly, um, 
you look at the options that are there and probably fancy him more than like, I mean, Niels Hoaglander has been playing well. They're kind of in a position where they're going to have to start making some maybe difficult decisions. You know, Bovillier's on the fourth line, Garland's on the third line. You can start seeing why they are actually thinking about, okay, should we move on from Garland? Um, you know, you always want to have more than you need, but you know, the, the, they, they, it's the thing. If they keep playing okay and they keep getting results, you can sort of see, okay, they're dealing from the position they want to be in, um, that they, they, they do have guys that they can swap in, swap out. I mean, Coons wrote a story yesterday about basically talk at, looking at his guys, especially around the edges, because he knows his energy players, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, physical expectation of being an energy guy may not be something you can do literally every night. It may just be that you need an extra game off here and there, so you're swapping guys in and out. But at the end of the day, Teddy Bluger is here to be a role, a key player as a, a depth player, a key player on the penalty kill. They want to get him in the lineup, and um, they believe he'll make the team better. So yeah, the longer he's out, the, the you know the more this sort of conversation about is this really as good a team as we think they are with carrying. Well, and um, that of course delays what was looking to be a pretty tricky decision if Bluger is ready to come back, who is coming out of the lineup, which brings me yeah. to Nils Hoglander. Peach, who has already been a healthy scratch once this season. What have you made of his game? And do you think that you're, uh, are we seeing the signs that this guy is finally going to arrive as an every game NHLer? Well, yeah, there, the fourth line, I mean, the depth lines in general, I don't think have been, haven't been producing enough on the whole. Of course, we're still only six games in, so we're still trying to build a picture of what this team really is. But certainly in the early going, those both the third and fourth lines have been more focused on stuff in their own end, and you'd rather have them not being stuck in their own end. And uh, so that he is a, he is a factor in that standpoint of that they need some of these guys who are there obviously to be not a problem when your stars are off the ice is the best way to put it. Um, but you want to have them add something to their game and bring something to the table. And uh, um, he he's been okay. Like he's shown some stuff, but uh, yeah, I mean it's that consistency question. And right now, you know, I don't know if he is necessarily a lock. Right now, he's shown that when he goes in the lineup, he can help. He can help score some goals and make some offensive impact. But it's about everything that happens and how often are they in their own end, not unable to get out. And and if he can be a player that can help fix that problem, he's going to stay in the lineup. But that remains the question for me of what, how he fits on this roster is that two way element is is this a, yeah. is he is he adding is it you know the goals matter but is he for adding sure. overall for sure because um, frankly I'm not sure you have a lot of better options in terms of helping the production in the bottom six from who you're playing there I think Oglander is probably your best goal scorer in that bottom six especially yeah. if Beauvillier is going to continue to be a zero so you're quite right if the defensive detail is there it's an easy answer for this coaching staff. Uh, we will see if he can if he can sustain here. Answer me the Bodog poll question. Hughes Kronick. Will it be a pairing all season? No. I I no, I, I, I still stand by the, the sense of that it makes more sense to split them up. Um I get the heavy minutes aspect of it, but I still think you'd rather have them not, I mean, Ronick's a guy who wants the puck, and when you're playing with Hughes, you're not going to have the puck. So that, to me, just alone. I mean, I, I get having this kind of dominant pair if they're going to play 25 minutes a night, I guess. 
but I still think long term the preference is to split them up and have two two pairs that play a ton and a third pair that doesn't play very much. And you know, I think realistically we're starting to see that a little bit with with you know Tyler Myers, for instance, played a lot less the last two games. He played 13 minutes both nights. Um, I think that's kind of where things are headed. And whether that means your second pair is a, you know a Friedman Ian Cole setup, I mean I suppose, but I think in the end maybe Friedman has not. I, I still don't know what we think of Friedman, what he actually is. I think we think he's better than Noel Juleson. Um, I'm not sure he is a guy that will fit with Hughes. And that brings us back to the Garland discussion. I mean, we can see why the team is still interested in finding another defenseman. They'd like to find a guy I think that can play higher up in the roster. And um, that's, I think, you know, it, it's hard to make trades right now, as everyone says, but it's not impossible. And um, yeah, so I, I don't think there'll be a partner, partnership for the whole season. Lastly, what do you make of this Shane Pinto affair? Well, uh, you know, the moment that the NHL made a statement, I know kind of people are like, oh, that's not real clarity, but I saw Shane Pinto and NHL games, and I thought that was doing a lot of work. And, you know, it sounds like from what we can gather that there was a third party involved, someone using his account, placing bets where they shouldn't be. And this is, this is the world. I mean, I would say credit to the NHL for making a strong statement on this. Um, obviously they've opened themselves up to all kinds of vulnerabilities by having all these partnerships with betting agencies. And, uh, it's a story I've been trying to press on and haven't honestly had a lot of people willing to talk about it, but you know, the, the threats, the thing to understand about match fixing isn't just, we played to lose, right? We played, we played for an outcome and that could be any outcome. And, you know, referees, I think are under threat for this kind of thing. This is what happens in soccer. It's yellow cards and penalties and all kinds of other bits and pieces in the game, not just the result. Um, any any influence towards a particular outcome that would you can put money on is a threat. And, and you know, I think the NHL, uh, I, in making this statement, is doing the right thing by saying, guys, listen, we know you're under a lot of pressures. We know that you can bet on it and just put anything now more than ever, anywhere, anytime. Um Obviously, they've got these partnerships with betting agencies, betting companies. But this is how it goes. Like, you have to be clear. And, and this is as clear a statement as it can be. Like, do not, well, you know, yeah. do not put yourself in that position. You have the knowledge of injuries ahead of time, too, guys. Like, they, there's insider knowledge there, there as well. Of so. course there is. On who's starting yeah. at goaltender, yeah. on all sorts of topics. And yeah. Yeah. full credit to them for the heavy suspension. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure uh, we want to give them full credit with regards to the transparency, I, I do think I would like to hear more specifically because I think a lot of people are asking the question, okay, what did he do that was wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure we have a clear answer on what he did to merit a half season suspension, yeah. which just off the top of my head has to be one of the longest suspensions in NHL history. Right. Yeah. So I, I would say the other thing too, is to understand that like, when you do these kinds of things, you put yourself at risk of threats from other people, right? right? Like it's not just, it's the position you put yourself in. It's not just whether you're betting for fun on a game that has, you know, every game in theory has an impact on your own teams. But, you know, for instance, you're an Ottawa Senators player, you're probably thinking a Kings versus Duck game doesn't probably have a huge lot of impact on you, but it's the mere a possibility of you being in a vulnerable position. You run up a bunch of debts. Someone comes at you says, well, this is what we're going to do in exchange. And it becomes this sort of second, third order consequence. It's not just 
if this, then that. It's all the other things that come down the chain. And, and that's, to me, why I think, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the NHL would be good to be clear on this. Right. Here is what we were concerned about, and here is why you cannot do this. If well, they're, they're going to be encouraging betting in every one of the professional avenues, mm-hmm. if they're encouraging betting for the general public, what is it that this player has done mm-hmm. that exactly. is outside those bounds, right? It's, it's yeah. hypocrisy. Because... I, I or do this policy or whatever, right? Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. here's yeah. our policy. Here's the here's the section because you know in the end there's oh, you break a rule on the ice. They tell you which rule it is. You yeah. know, the, here's the suspension. And can't be arbitrary. Terms. No. Yeah, because the other thing here is I I do believe there is a lot of ignorance on the part of the public in terms of why this is the cardinal sin that leagues yeah. view it. We yeah. got a lot of that. I mean, when I first started in sports talk radio. You know, the Pete Rose thing was still raging and people were going, I don't understand. What if he, if he bet on the Reds to win, why is that a problem? Well, from the manager's office, because, you know, if you're betting on the team to win, it may affect the way that you manage the game. Not to mention what you just mentioned, the ability, uh, the uh, concern of accumulating debts. And of course, back in those days, accumulating debts with unsavory figures. We know the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks has fell victim to this. And made a mistake way back when and got punished for it. So I'll be interested to see if uh, Rick Hockett has anything to say on this going forward. But yeah, I, I just don't think that the public sort of understands the severity in the eyes of a league or a commissioner of gambling. And this is why those signs are posted in Major League Baseball clubhouses in like block letters. Uh, this is the number one thing that they're concerned about because it threatens the enterprise. I mean, I go back to that, uh, you know, five, six years ago, El Salvador, remember the men's uh, men's national soccer team was here and they had a huge allegation of being approached of an approach. And they brought it up to their credit. They said, we had an approach from someone from, I think it was from Honduras. So basically trying to influence. And it wasn't about whether El Salvador was going to beat Canada. It was a particular outcome. If you can try to create this particular outcome, we will pay you this much money because there's a betting market that is really interested in this result. Um, it is all those kinds of things. And, and I remember writing that story and people were like, well, but they were being given bonuses to win. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like it, it is the mere fact of creating a relationship between you and an unsavory character that is the issue. And that comes back to the Pete Rose thing. I mean, that's basically what Rose got in trouble for, was that it was it was consorting with... I mean, this goes back to the Black Sox. It's consorting with gamblers. Like, that's why baseball has been so hard on this for so long. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, hockey... Like I said, hockey was right to make this... Or the NHL was right to make yeah. this strong stand. But the clarity needs to be there. Yeah, uh, and uh, especially in this whole new world where, of course, sports wagering is a much more accepted... Uh, part of the culture in North America, which of course it has been in other parts of the world for for years. Wonderful stuff. Thank you for this. We will catch up next week, Patrick. Take care, guys. Harrison Price from All Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags the best and worst at Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick, Jason Dodd Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage, still need equity out of your house. Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. 
your mortgage is up in the next six months, now's the time to reach out. Find them. Jason. Dot mortgage. Very, very weird time for the mortgages. Mm-hmm. Let Jason guide you through it. Absolutely. Haley underscore Salvian. <whistles> Potential PWHL team names have been revealed. You mm-hmm. know me, Matt, I'm a bit of a gatekeeper on team names. Yep. Uh, Doesn't people, like animal, what, what? Don't like... Well, logos, you're talking about, yeah, no oh, detailed oh, sorry, logos. logos. My yeah, bad. no yeah. detailed logos. Simpler the D- better. Don't like cartoonish, right? No. It's too uh, too minor league. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are trademarks that you know investigative reporters have dug up. These are the applications for a trademark. You tell me if you think this is legit. I mean, they're legitimately trademarked by the PWHL. Are they really going to go forward with ahem colon the Toronto Torch, the Montreal Echo, Ottawa Alert, Minnesota Superior, Boston Wicked? And New York Sound. Boston Wicked, I can live with. Minnesota Superior, I can live with. I can live with the, that one, too. Off, based on the lake, right? Yes, I would think. Now, now the other ones are ones where you're going to have to... Um, Explain it Draw to me the <laughs> connection. Montreal Echo. Ottawa Alert. I've lived in both of those cities. I'm not sure, at least off the top. Of my yeah. head, what the and if you have to, if you need a chalkboard to explain it, probably not the right nickname. Mm. But they're all the singular nicknames. That's the other thing. Like hockey's not been traditionally. I know there are examples, Minnesota Wild, et cetera, et cetera. Lightning. But you know, for the most part, we've been a plural nickname sport. It um, used to drive me crazy back in my newspaper days because you know, lightning, wild, heat. Are referred to as an it as opposed yes. to a they. Yeah, you got to adjust the grammar as you're yeah. right. Yeah. You get into apostrophes. And, yeah. Anyways. I wonder if this is honestly just stirring it up. I wonder if this was yeah. done intentionally to get people talking about it and that none of these are act- the actual ones. But if they are, not good. I was not talking, good. I was talking with a friend the other day as we were watching the uh, that Washington Commanders Chicago Bears Thursday Nighter. And we both agreed. Do you remember when they went, after they had dropped the offensive nickname, do you remember when they went with Washington Football Club? Yes, yeah. yeah. And as we all know, in England. It's a soccer thing, yeah, for sure. Right. And then the fans just assign them a nickname, whether it's Reds, whether it's you know, whatever I, the case they should have, is. They should have kept it. Well, like Washington Football Club is way better for me than yeah. Washington Commanders. Like Commanders does nothing for me. It's like a seven-year-old named them. It, it really is. Yeah. It's like you know we need a big, strong, powerful, toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go Commanders. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, totally. What would be wrong with Toronto Hockey Club? Yeah, Ottawa Hockey Club. You fashion a right. soccer-esque sort of logo with that. The uh-huh. HC HC Davos. You know, like it's a European sort of thing. Uh-huh. And. It instantaneously sort of has some gravitas, some history, even though there is none. Like mm-hmm. it, that's what well, that sounds like to me. It's also, it's a broad and inclusive name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overthink it. No. Don't overthink it. At Joe Pompliano, <whistles> Lionel Messi stole the show, but MLS had an excellent year overall. Yeah, the numbers are in from the MLS regular season, as we suspected. This was a good year. This is a league on the upswing. 
Average attendance across MLS, 22,111. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. And what people don't get about uh, about that number is, is that the, these, uh, the modern soccer facilities in the States that are everywhere almost, mm-hmm. uh, they're not big. Like they're, The biggest ones are like 25,000 seats. So mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're putting 22 in them, you're effectively mm-hmm. sold out. 10.9 million total fan attendance. Seven games drew 60,000 plus fans. As Joe writes, say what you want about the quality of play, but all those are attendance records, and MLS is clearly on the way up. I, I know there are those in the sports business community that are looking at the franchise prices and expansion prices of MLS teams and going, they are way overvalued, and that may well still be a bubble. We'll, we shall see. Um, but with Lionel Messi in the loop for what we hope is a full and healthy season Mm -hmm. next year, Um, particularly if, as we've also discussed, MLS makes an effort via its scheduling to make sure Messi touches every market over the next couple of years. I think you're, uh, we may finally be looking, Blake, at the breakthrough that the world sport has long sought and needed in the United States of America, the world's biggest economy. They've got an easy recipe right now. They've got Lionel Messi in tow, and they've got a World Cup on their soil in 2026. The interesting thing is, can you carry this tidal wave past 2026? The 2027 season is going to be interesting. I I think this is a little more real than the 70s and the NASL days when Pele and all these world uh, football stars uh, came to America. I, I think it's more real than... The last United States World Cup, and well, both what, of those things were manufactured, and they were sort of hopeful. This there's more beef around the stars now. Like it's it's a better league surrounding the stars. Right, they bring and in. if you watch the Beckham documentary, the quality of play, and we've seen it with our own eyes in the you know decade plus since the Whitecaps have been in MLS, it's just better quality. Yeah, the last three four yeah. years has really gone up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a uh, fabulous rookie in the National Hockey League this season. There's a very intriguing rookie in the NBA this season at Ringer. Victor Wembanyama's debut was a necessary reminder that he's a rookie, still adjusting to the NBA's speed and whistle. Luckily for Wemby, the NBA is also going to have to adjust to him. Um, he had 15 points with nine in the fourth quarter, incidentally, in his debut last night. Five rebounds on 67% field goal shooting. Um, not gaudy numbers, but except for 67 uh, not gaudy numbers, but a few of the things that he did even in that debut game last night were pretty incredible. And just the specimen that he is, yes. he's going to be a marvel, like effortlessly shooting threes, the length to like have a dunk that he he's like 12 feet away from the hoop and making a dunk. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I also think there will be a lot of nights where the box score doesn't necessarily capture how good he is right. because of his ability on the defensive end. Yeah. I, uh, in fact, much like a young Tim Duncan, actually. Mm-hmm. Very similar. I can, uh, believe it or not, I actually, I was lucky enough to see Tim Duncan play his final home game at Wake Forest University. He scored 10 points. I believe it was the fewest points he had scored in like two seasons. Blake, I think he had like 12 or 13 rebounds, blocked eight shots, and the opposition just gave up on driving the lane at some point. In the game, at some point in the first half. So, what Wembayama is going to do to affect the game on the defensive end may well be what first he is noted for in the NBA before all the other 
I, I think his shooting offensive stats catch up. His shooting style is interesting though. Like he shoots the ball like a guard, mm-hmm. even though most big men that you can think of, even when the, the ones that are very good at three point, like Nikola Jokic, even you don't jump. You don't see the big men jump much. Like mm-hmm. they just stand. They're already so high above the rim. They don't right. need to jump. So they use their legs, but they don't leave the ground. Wembenyama still jumps. Like mm-hmm. he, and he's got this wingspan of like an eight foot tall person. And yet he still shoots the ball like he's six feet, and he needs to elevate. Like it's, he's interesting to watch. Should be a lot of fun. We have a new record for players only meetings. Oh yes, I did read about this at the Dunk Central. The Chicago Bulls had a players only meeting after last night's loss versus OKC. It's the first game of the season. They lose one twenty four one oh four. At the United Center to Shea Gilgis Alexander, Lou yes. Dort in the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Chet Holmgren finally makes his debut. Fantastic to see the former Gonzaga star who missed last year. Remember, he got hurt. Was it Summer League? Um, so you lose by 24 on your home court, shot 41.5%, 28.6 from three point land, 70, uh, 78%. From the line, turned the ball over twelve times, which actually, you know, was less than what Oklahoma City turned it over. And uh, for Demar Derozan, this stage in his career, you're on a Bulls team that may or may not be good, but 34 years old, and you're in a players-only meeting after night one. Yeah, 81 more to go, Demar. I mean the. In some ways, I can understand it. Like I, just, just, to, just to like draw the line. If you're a veteran, going, guys, we're not doing this 81 yeah, times. And, and I sure hope that's the context of it all. I would think, yeah. Like we can't let this become mm-hmm. okay. A 20 point loss. Were they at right. home? I think they were at home. They're at home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I get it from mm-hmm. that perspective. Although I'm sure it was a little bit jarring for Billy Donovan, who like gets to the door and is like, uh What's what's going on? No here? coach, players going to have. And, and in fairness, you know, and we heard Rick Talkett talk about it with the Canucks after the Philly loss. He loves it when he doesn't have to be the one in there messaging. Mm-hmm. If the players take care of it themselves, yeah. You know, if you go back twenty years and talk to Bill Belichick about how did you win three Super Bowls in four years? Those first three Super Bowls, the players took ownership of the process. You know, it wasn't coaches at the front of the room telling them you need to be this, you need to be that. If you weren't motivated and professional enough on your own accord to come in the facility every day understanding what you need to accomplish, then there was not much coaches could do to help you. At some point, it falls on personal responsibility. So, anyone more for the Chicago Bulls? And hopefully no more players-only meetings. One would think. I mean, you know, what do you set the over-under on at players-only meetings if you're already one and one? I'm out. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by Rob Williams. Rob, the hockey guy, national sports editor of the Daily Hive, and it's Offside Sports Vertical. Good morning. How are you? Great, guys. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Tell me, four and two, three and two on the trip. Is this already a good start for the Vancouver Canucks, or do you need to see more to consider it a good? Our, our standards are a little lower, obviously, Rob, based on the Octobers we have seen 
in seasons past. So but usually at the 20 game mark, you know, we are, we are asking 20, it's a quarter of the season. It's still only like November 20th at More that point. More than start, isn't it? Uh-huh. Rob, you tell us. Yes, but I think, I mean, we're already in the roller coaster of the season, right? Like that first game, everyone's on, on a high after that. Like what a surprising result against the Oilers. Okay, but they've got to back it up. And then they get the win and everyone's feeling great, but they didn't play that great, but we kind of ignored it. And then game three, they look terrible and lose. And then everyone's, the panic starts, right? Because they look bad in two consecutive games. And then they lose again after that. And and everyone's wondering if these are the same old Canucks. And lo and behold, they rattle off a couple of wins. And now everyone's feeling great again. So so is it a good start? Yes. Um, but, like, if I mean, if they lose Friday and Saturday and look bad doing it, we're right back to where we were a few days ago. Yeah. So uh, we are on the roller coaster of the season. I, I'll say this. It's not a disastrous start, right? Like, they're, even if they lose, even, like, worst case scenario, like let's say they lose the next four in a row. Now they're two games below 500. People will be freaking out, but they're still only two games below 500. So yeah. not... Yeah. They're not uh, no wins in seven like last season. Like they like they've got a you know they've got a long way to go before they get to sink to those uh, depths. So yeah, I, I think so far it's a good start. Um, at the very least, it's not going to be a bad start if you're looking at like first ten games, right? Could could we then just say the next three games, the end of October, that constitutes a quote unquote start? Would that be agreeable no, to my Matt, honorable it, That gets colleagues. to nine games. That's a weird number. Just give it the 10th game. Come on. <laughs> All right. 10 games. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? Uh, can it? Here's the other question about the start. Do you, do you think that it's sustainable to play, to deploy all of the players like they're currently being deployed. And, and I think most of that's going to be centered on the defensive pairing of Hughes and, and Roenick because they've actually spread out the goaltending level uh, a fair amount. But you could say that about the top six to some degree as well and how much they lean on them. Yeah, I mean, both uh, Hughes and Hronik over 25 minutes a game, uh, those are tough minutes to sustain. I don't think it's impossible, though. I mean, they're not they're not like 28 minutes. Like this. Drew Doughty used to be 27 to 30 every night, right? Exactly. So in theory, I think, you know, you've got a, a pair like that that's that's above the rest and, and guys used to playing big minutes. Um, sure. I mean, as long I mean, you, the big worry is, is injury, I think. Right. Uh, if you're if you're playing them that much, you, you expose your players to, to a higher chance of injury. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's like a dire straits kind of thing where you're playing guys 25 minutes. I think that's like, what would we expect Hughes to be at? Like 20, 23, 24 maybe is more ideal. But Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. bet an eyelash at that, no. Yeah, and he plays a lot of power play time. So, you know, that's not, uh, you know, power play minutes is, is not uh, overly strenuous, I wouldn't I wouldn't think, on, on Hughes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, I'm okay with that. I, I think that it's... I mean, what an interesting development it's been for for Hughes's partner this season, right? Like all the, all that all the Cole McWard talk seems like <laughs> it seems like years ago now. Um, it was always a ridiculous notion, I think, that to think that you're going to uh, put a raw rookie on on Hughes's pair, and it makes a lot more sense with Peronic, even though I think we thought stylistically at the start that you want to split those two guys up. And I hear you, Rob, except for. Quinn Hughes is going to float just about anybody who you put 
on that right side. And for me, gentlemen, the question is, well, there's two questions, as we've talked about. Can you sustain winning with a loaded up first pair and just trying to get by with the other two pairs? But secondly, if you're going to pay Philip Ronick at the end of the year, and he is an RFA to B, and you know, you take a look at his case, he is he is uh, in line for a hefty race. If you're going to pay Philip Ronick at the end of the year, do you not need to see him do not to the Quinn Hughes level, but anchor his own pair and allow somebody else to play on that side who isn't quite as equipped and be the guy on that pair? <laughs> Does it feel like it should be like an organizational mandate that you're not allowed to put a pending UFA paired with Quinn Hughes? <laughs> right, like because they're they're going well, to he's get only paid, RFA. Right? He's only uh, RFA uh, in fairness. Uh, so yeah, pending pending free agent and pair him with with Hughes. Like we've seen it with Tanev, we've seen it with Shen, and right. and now we've got Hronik. And it's like inevitably you're going to hit career highs if you play with uh, Hughes all season. So yeah, I do think there, there's there's that. I mean, hey, like if the Canucks have a pair that works and they can play them you know, close to half the, half the game, that's, that's a win considering the, the other guys that they've got. And you've got to, you know, Rick talk and the, and the coaching staff have got to work with what they've got. So, so far it's working. I still don't really understand why they didn't give Cole or Susie a, a shot there, like, and, and give them a, like a real shot on the, playing their offside at, to just be so like stuck. And it's got to be lefty righty given the lefties and righties that you have uh, in your lineup, uh, yeah, I'm not so I'm not so sure that was a, the great idea because I I think that that should be your next fallback plan because like what else do you do if you take Chronic off that pair if you're not going to play somebody on their offside? I, I mean, I don't think Tyler Myers is is the guy. Is Mark Friedman the guy? Don't know about that either. So um, yeah, they've got limited options on the back end. Talk about the as for. Oh, well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, you took note of uh, everybody rallying in Canuck Nation. That's the one thing unites us as Quinn Hughes, uh, rallying around mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes in the face of uh, Eastern media bias. Yeah, you guys, it's been like a decade of Canucks fans and media fighting amongst themselves. It kind of warms my heart and brings me back whenever I see like everyone sort of uniting against like a common enemy, in this case being uh, the biased Eastern media. <laughs> so I absolutely love to see it. Like, uh, you know, nothing against the, the guys that, uh, you know, that were saying things about Quinn Hughes. And now, listen, I'm, I'm one of the people that think that Quinn Hughes is underrated. I had, I, I had a, a, a Norris ballot last year. I had him third on my ballot. So I had him as a, as a finalist. Uh, I think he's that good and he's been even better this, this season. Uh, I do think that that, you know, that, that year in the Canadian division where he, he had a poor year defensively is still kind of coloring everybody uh, that way. I think the things that'll fix that will be if the Canucks can be a playoff team, all of a sudden his numbers are going to look even better. And I think that just perception wise, that's going to make a difference. I think even just having the C on his chest is going to make people think, okay, well, he's not just this like small skilled uh you know, offensive defenseman, he's like a leader and, you know, he's going to have a, a, a bit of that aura around him. But doesn't it bring you back? Like when, whenever I see like Canucks fans, like all upset at the, at the same thing, kind of all going at, at uh, like a common enemy, like I said, it reminds me of 2011 and, and that yeah. era of team where 
where Canucks fans were just kind of like, you know, this, this plucky fan base that, that, uh, that stuck by their team. And it's, it's nice to see. They even made me defend Ryan Kessler in 2011. <laughs> I was even pushed to such points that I defended Ryan Kessler to the Eastern media. That's where I got to. Uh, the other you, rallying you point. Guys, sorry, do you guys remember like in 2011, like Tony Gallagher was brought on like a Boston television show? This is like after the finals. Yes. And then they like ambushed him with like Sean yes. Thornton. It was like, by the way, Sean Thornton's here. Like they got him after mm, he was yeah. talking about it. Like, man, and like that seems Tony, like a, that seems like a million years ago. <laughs> and Tony didn't bat an no. eyelash. That was the best yeah. part. He sat there coolly, calmly, collectedly, and quite frankly. As I said at the time, Tony Gallagher could out-debate Sean Thornton with half his brain tied behind his back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, if you're going to get into a debate with Tony Gallagher, like, you better bring the arsenal, and I hope you're experienced in the forum. <laughs> the only other thing that's rallied Canucks fans over the years is catastrophic injury, and thankfully, I don't think we've saw, seen that with Vasily Podkolzin, but we saw a Canuck Nation rally around that in, a, in a, a moment that very few people are able to see, obviously, in a non-televised game, um, but good to see that the young Canuck is gramming from his hospital bed with a big smile on his face, so... Um, perhaps disaster averted there with Vasily Podkolzin. Yeah, really scary incident. Um, you know, obviously not, not many people saw it live, but the, you know, you can see, you can just tell by the way people were tweeting from the game um, about what they were seeing with Vasily Podkolzin. There was a lot of uh, concern f for, for his health as, um, you know, getting stretchered off the ice and, and uh, apparently convulsing whatnot on the ice. Uh, you know, it's a, a scary incident. It, um, you know, looked like he hit his head. So we'll kind of wait and see what the what um, the prognosis is with him. But yeah, it's nice to see him post an update. You know, have a bit of a that uh, that Pod Colson kind of smirk on his face um, that we've that we've uh, gotten to know. Um, yeah, and too bad. I mean, he was he was uh, you know really playing well down in Abbotsford too. Like like tied for the AHL leading goals, scoring a goal a game. Um, so, you know, hopefully he can get up to, to full health, uh, in, in not too much time here. And, uh, and maybe we'll see him, uh, in, in Vancouver before the, the season's over. I would imagine that we would, if, uh, you know, assuming, assuming yeah, full health. Somehow, yeah. some way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw the piece that Patrick Johnson did, uh, and Jeremy Colton said, and this was prior to the fifth game. Last time was their sixth game, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was prior to the fifth yeah, game. He yeah. said, you know, there have been two or three periods this year where he has been absolutely dominant. So. Um, certainly hope yeah. to see him get back. I mean, the great news that he's uh, engaging on social media from the hospital. Uh, they uh, reported he was alert and responsive, so that's great news as well. And we'll, we'll we'll see about his return to return to the ice now. You know, much like the Canucks, where a four and two start is viewed as great because of the previous standards. Um, you don't have to go too far back, Rob Williams, where the Lions. And the Whitecaps weren't exactly setting standards in their respective leagues either. And yet I caught your headline and your story this week about our two boys of summer teams and how this is the best they've ever been concurrently, at least in the MLS era for the Whitecaps. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been great to see. This is the best. Uh, we're, we're counting, you know, I'm, I'm sure if we go to the Canadian Soccer League or North American Soccer League era Whitecaps, we could um, 
uh, find some great examples as well. But since 2011, since the Whitecaps entered MLS, this is the best they've been at the same time because we've had the, both teams have kind of had peaks and valleys uh, since then. The Lions, of course, won the Grey Cup and were a powerhouse in 2011, 2012. But that was when the Whitecaps were still an expansion team, just kind of establishing themselves. This is the first time since MLS that the Lions and the Whitecaps have both had winning records and both made the playoffs. Uh, so that is a first. And they're both going to be hosting uh, playoff games on the same weekend, no less, like back-to-back nights. That's great to see. I see the Whitecaps uh, share an update that they've sold over 20,000 seats uh, already for their, their playoff game. And like that's, that's a big number Amazing. this early um I, i'm always on you know me i'm always on like the uh you're a I, week and I, a half out rob i mean 10 days out to hit twenty thousand is really impressive we always talk about i'm on the seat beat usually referencing the rogers arena seats i'm also on the seat beat for bc place in terms of number of seats sold right like whenever they open up the upper bowl it's it's uh something that i think fans in in vancouver is just like we just love seeing big crowds at BC Place because we know how yeah. great that stadium can be when it's full or at least even just the lower bowl, right? When that lower mm-hmm. bowl is, is packed for a big game, like that place is rocking. And I, I would expect a, a big crowd from the Lions as well. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if both teams could, could begin selling upper bowl seats uh, in back-to-back nights, um, you know, for playoff games? That would be outstanding. Be can we please see... One of these teams go on a run. Like, I, let's see the let's see a run to the Grey Cup. Let's see a run to I don't know if MLS Cup Finals. Like, super. Real. I, I mean, it's, it's honestly realistic, you, I guess. given yeah. the parity in the Western Conference, it is. It's real. It's realistic. There's no juggernaut in the West, so. and we've seen some surprise runs and champions in MLS yeah. before. Yeah. So, yeah, there is more than a snowball's chance for the Whitecaps, and of course with the Lions. I mean, you know the. Uh, their white whale right now is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, yeah. but if they can get over them in the West Final, anything can happen in the Grey Cup, as we have seen many, many times over. Lastly, Rob Williams, your hero Don Taylor <laughs> is going into the BC Sports Hall of Fame. Tell us the story about a young, burgeoning, up-and-coming Rob Williams in the media <laughs> business and how Donnie shot an arrow through your heart that one day. Yeah, I don't know how many people remember this story, but uh, yeah, a, a, a young, a young Rob. I guess this was, Jesus, had to be over. This is more than ten years ago now. So I had I had a blog that not many people read, and just trying to get get noticed and just trying to like you know share opinions, right? And I, and one of the things that I did was I I would share my opinions on uh, on the media. So I'd listen to a lot of TSN ten forty or Team ten forty, I guess back then. And this was around the time that Bro Jake took over uh, on uh, on 1040, and you know, yeah, yeah and sports fans party, didn't yeah. like it, right? And 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 I and I wasn't, you know, so I, I wrote like a really critical uh, review of the Bro Jake show after like the first week, and uh, so not thinking anybody is ever going to read this, like at all. Uh, I don't know how many followers I had on Twitter, but not that many, and. All of a sudden, I'm seeing these like tweets, and they're like, is, "Did this? Is, did Don Taylor? Uh, is this Don? Is this really Don Taylor in the comments section of Rob the Hockey Guy?" And it was, yeah, this is like robthehockeyguy.com. This is this is that era, and somebody by the name of DT is just laying into me and call. And he, I think he starts it off by saying, "Usually, I don't. Uh, I, usually, I." 
don't like entertain the the you know the the pretend media is what he called me, uh, and he just kind of lays into me. And, <laughs> and yeah, Don Taylor is my hero. Like I was like he was uh, you know like like the you know everyone I think around my age that growing up in Vancouver like he was he was the man. He still is the man. Um, so yeah, I was uh, part like like taken aback, but I was also just like I can't believe Don Taylor noticed me. Like that was kind of there was a bit of that in it as well. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a, it was a cool moment because it was like, um, you know, you're just trying to, you're just trying to, I don't know, you're just trying to put stuff out there and, and get noticed. And, and uh, I guess I was uh, taking shots at his buddy. So, you know, good teammate. He came in there and, and, mm. uh, and laid into me. So every time J. Paul McConnell yelled at me, I considered it very flattering. Oh, no, yeah. that was affection yeah, yeah. From, from JP. <laughs> if he yelled at you, he likes yes. you. Yeah. But yeah, no. he used to call me up screaming, saying, you know, and then. Okay, dinner seven o'clock at this place. Okay, and and Don's not you know he's not that active on on Twitter. And I remember, um, geez, I guess it was about two years later. I got I got a, you know full time job with Van City Buzz at the time, and he never tweeted at me or anything like that. But then he on that first day he congratulated me on Twitter and said you know, something about Vancity Buzz being a great local resource. So it was like, it kind of came from full cir circle there. So that was, it was pretty mm. cool. You're not pretend media anymore. No. Williams. You're vested. I embrace yeah. that. You know what? I, I, I kind of took that to, to be like, I, I think I said at the time, like, I hope this is my, like, what was like Dave Pratt used to talk about? Like when Jennifer Burke called into the show and, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Him, and that was like, Watershed kind of moment. That, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I kind of, I kind of consider that almost my, my <laughs> moment, a much smaller, smaller scale uh, where, you know, Don Taylor calls me pretend media and then that, you know, <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. Don Taylor getting in your comments. And it's true because especially back then, yes. Don was not active on social media very often. Uh, marvelous stuff. Great story, Rob. Thanks for this. Catch up next Thursday. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So here's some price from All Center presentation, Apple at Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great clips. It's going to be great. Simply outstanding. <laughs> Results from yesterday's Bodog poll question. We asked you, is Phil DiGiuseppe giving you Alex Burroughs vibes? Yes or no? What did the people say? Blake? People said no. Correct. What percentage? 70. 65. And yet, Grady Sass. And we, we monitor this most days. And if there are huge discrepancies, we like to uh, make note of them. YouTube, what did the people say? 64% yes. So, like, the exact opposite. Yeah, interesting. The question was interpretive. Yep. I voted yes because I went, eh, a late bloomer doing the spade work for more offensively gifted teammates and hanging in the top six? Yeah, sure. I can see a through line of that. Somebody, some people wanted a more literal parallel. Mm -hmm. And that's not there. Others felt like Burroughs is such a figure in Canucks history, it was disrespectful to <laughs> yes. put PDG in the, see that. the same sentence. Some good comments on this one. Ian, I feel like Burroughs was significantly more of an underdog than PDG. 
And that much is true. I mean, Alex Burrow's undrafted, right? A former roller hockey player. From the depths of the ECHL. Oh, sorry. It was a ball, ball hockey. hockey. Yeah. My bad. Sorry. I've made that mistake before. Foot soldier. Right. From the depths of the e- ECHL, and there are very few skaters who touch the ECHL and make it as bona fide National Hockey Leaguers. DiGiuseppe was the 38th overall pick, a high second rounder in his draft year and had a nice career at the University of Michigan. So I, I completely get that. Like we said, the question is interpretive. As I mentioned on Twitter, too, I mean, I don't see him scoring 35 goals anytime soon, being one-third of the best line in hockey, as Burroughs was. Pucker Glenn, good, quote, found money vibes, but let's get a bigger sample size before tossing a Burroughs tag on him. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. The found money thing holds up, and you're right. He's not yet Burroughs. Handel says, at this moment, he's giving me Jason King vibes. Also fair, right? King, a shooting comet in Canucks lore. Also but playing with the Twins. PDG's going to hope that's not the case, though, because well, that's, it, that candle burnt out by the end of November. And Handel is completely uh, within his right to think that there's an expiration date on field yep. PDG. Um, there might be. There may be. It's up to PDG to prove that wrong. And then Austin and Langley, you made me laugh. He's giving me pizza for dinner vibes. It's not delivery. It's DiGiuseppe. Well done, Austin. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. And I'm going to call two on myself here. One was caught in real time by Frank Saravelli. Reminded me it was the Montreal Canadiens serving as the opponent 20 years ago in the outdoor game at Commonwealth against the Oilers. It is the Battle of Alberta this weekend in the outdoor game at Commonwealth. And, uh, it's a little chilly for Vancouver, but when Frank said the temperatures were highs of minus two in Edmonton, <laughs> ice conditions shouldn't be an issue, right? No. If you're below zero. And then I'm going to call uh, an error on myself. And I did qualify saying with apologies to Michigan State because there have been organized hockey games done outdoors before the NHL got to it 20 years ago. But calling it the OG outdoor game was probably too much, given that we used to play Olympic gold medal games outdoors, Blake, if you go way back when. Of course, we used to play ice hockey hockey at the Summer Olympics. Yeah. uh, And it was indoors at the Summer Olympics. But in 1932, it moved to the Winter Olympics. uh, And and was the 32 it moved to the Winter Olympics? Yeah, 32... It moved to the Winter Olympics, and we had outdoor games in 28, 1928 at St. Moritz. So, yes. And if, as you mentioned as well, you go far back enough, all hockey was played outdoors. Sorry, 24, it moved outdoors at Chamonix, and 28 moved to the Winter Olympics at St. Moritz. Or, yes. <laughs> Also yeah. very no, confused. Yes. Also very confused. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's it, unless Grady has anything else. Nope. Boy, this whole errors and omissions segment, a big error. Truths are, are sometimes hard to un- unveil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time for Blake's Bodog line of the day. Let's get out of here. 
All right. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Who you like, what you got? As tantalizing as the Whitecaps at plus 400 might be. It's not a lot of respect from odds makers. Although Vanny said they had to play perfect. Plus 360 on the draw looks pretty interesting, though. Mm. So that's just 90 minutes. That's 90 minutes. And straight to penalty kicks. Right. You don't have to bet on the kicks, though. It's just getting across the right. line at 90 minutes at even Steven. That might be the better route for the caps at this point, plus 360. Do you believe tactically that's what they'll try to play for? Um, I, I think you play the first hour with a let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then once, you know, if you're if you're drawn at an hour, mm-hmm. I think you you play a counterattack style for the final half hour gotcha. to, to get it across the line. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social media. That's Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.